на трибунах холеют знамена, Облака под небесни плывут. На зеленом ковре стадиона разноцветные майки цветут. So, hello and welcome to the Russian Football News Podcast, this latest edition. We are featuring uh, numerous topics as per usual. We're going to speak about Zinchenko, the man at Ufa who's sort of lighting up the league at the moment, the latest hot prospect to be linked with a move away from Russia. Then we're going to move on to Krasnodar, who are a club who are looking to make the Champions League this season, despite only being founded in 2008. We'll be looking into that a bit. And then a couple of weeks ago, we had a question from a listener about Terek and their progress in the league, and it's actually tailed off somewhat in recent weeks, so we'll go over and dissect that. But, of course, I'm now going to introduce my guests, as per usual. It's Toka Thielade and Andrew Flint. How are you, gents? Not bad, thanks, buddy. Yeah, all good on my end as well. Good stuff, good stuff. Okay, we may as well dive straight into <coughs> Zinchenko here. He's a 19-year-old Ukrainian attacking midfielder, plays for Ufa, who are quite near the bottom of the table, quite near the relegation places, actually. But he is the latest prospect to be linked with a move away from Russia, with uh, Man City, of course, Pep Guardiola coming in there in the summer, and Borussia Dortmund, apparently the main club's interested. So, Andrew, what can you tell the listeners about Zinchenko here? Well, Zinchenko is, in my opinion, the most exciting and realistically exciting prospect in Russia, um, possibly even Eastern Europe. Um, he's well, he's only nineteen. He's a he's a small lad, but he's he's a very very one-footed winger. But his left foot is so good um, that it, it doesn't really matter. He he plays usually on the left wing, um, takes a lot of set pieces. Um, and he only arrived uh, at Ufa just over a year ago, I think, from you know when he left uh, he left Ukraine. Um, but already he's become their most important attacking player. Um, and I'm not surprised that big clubs are are circling already. Um, I mean, you mentioned Thomas Ufa being quite low down the league. Um, if they don't escape relegation, then he would surely leave anyway. Um, so whether City is the best club for him, um, well, we'll discuss that now, I'm sure. But um, he's he's a very exciting player to watch, and he's got a lot of maturity as well. So I hope people will see that. And Toka, would you add anything to the Zinchenko discussion? What have you seen of him? I mean, it's, it's difficult to disagree with how Andrew described him. He has a great technique, great vision, set pieces. Um, he's great on the ball. I'd like to see him get even more involved in time. At, at the moment, he's, he's, he's quite weak physically. and But I, I would really like to see him play centrally because he is the kind of player who can create chances out of nothing. And he, you have the feeling every time he's on the ball, something can happen. So I'd like to see him get even more involved, maybe play centrally and, and really become the cornerstone in Ufa's offense, but, but also in his next and his future clubs as well because... He is really an exciting player. Yeah, of course, he was surrounded by a bit of controversy in recent months. With the There's a bit of a thing going on with the Ukrainian national team. There were rumours that he was uh, not picked for the under-21 side due to his being based in Russia. We don't need to go into that situation too much. But a, a question I posed to you here is the, the fact that he's, of course, being linked to move to big clubs. This is the, the question that always goes around here is... Is he perhaps going too early? We see this a lot with a lot of talents going into mm. big European clubs. Is, do you think he's going too, and, uh, too early, Andrew? Well, I think, realistically, I think he is. Um, I think it was inevitable that he would go go this summer, like I said, because of Ufa's situation. Um, I, if he goes to Man City, for, I mean, firstly, he'll have the possibly the best facilities in the world, the training complex that um, the owners have built is just incredible. Um, so physically, medically, he'll be looked after tactically with Pep Guardiola. I mean, you could hardly turn down that chance, could you? Um, but he's 19. Um, he's never left uh, He's never left Eastern Europe. He played a season in Ukraine and he's had a season and a half in Russia. Um, but the difference is, in Ufa, he is the star. At City, there's just the obvious risk that he will be low down the pecking order. And um, we've seen a lot of young stars come to Manchester City and 
and just purely because they've got so many players ahead of them in the queue, have failed to make an impact. Um, I, I am worried about it, but the, the, the scrap of comfort I have is that he, I think he's a very mature uh, 19-year-old from what I've seen. Um, so on balance, I'd have to say it is a bit early, but let's, let's keep our fingers crossed. Um, I, I hope he uses the opportunity, if it does come along, of course. Yeah, Toka, I was just thinking that, of course, I was listening to Andrew's answer, but I was thinking something else <laughs> at the same time. But Toka, I was thinking with your Scandinavian connections, Martin Odegaard at Real Madrid, could we perhaps draw a comparison there? Perhaps Odegaard moved too early, or although he does seem to be doing quite well at Real Madrid's youth system. I, I was actually thinking about the same thing earlier today, but I think the big difference between Odegaard and um, Sinchenko oh, is that... Wait there, wait there. Do that pronunciation again. That was perfect. Oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, anyway, the big, the big difference between them is that while Ugo was only 16 when he moved to Real Madrid, Sinchenko is 19 and has already played a lot of first-team football. And if he moves, I hope he'll move to a team where the plan with him is that he'll also play first-team football and not like Ugo, who will play on the youth team and only be relevant for the first team in three or four years maybe and that that's what i fear if if he moves to city that he'll not be relevant for the first team because i like him as a talent he's a very exciting player but he's nowhere nowhere near the level of de bruyne or david david silva or whoever they have on the midfield at city at the moment so that's that's my my concern at the moment regarding his future we're all mentioning city here we of course dortmund linked with him i'm thinking that might be the better option for him. Thomas Tuchel prefers sort of the younger team and everything, developing a nice style there, Andrew? Yeah, I, I, you might be right there, in fact. I mean, we've, we've seen Mats Hummels moved, I mean, okay, different positions slightly, but Dortmund don't tend to hang on to their top stars as much as as Bayern City, the other, the absolute richest clubs. Um, so maybe he will um, have a chance there. Um I I don't I don't watch as much Bundesliga football uh, as I'd like to, but I know I know enough from seeing them in Europe when they played Krasnodar, for example, um, this season. I think um, I, I think you might be right. Uh, it's I, what I've heard is that Dortmund were interested in possibly playing him uh, as a sort of left wing back, left full back even role, uh, which I think would be a big mistake and it would be a waste of his talent. Um, but if they are prepared to explore his versatility, like Toka said, playing him in the centre, I actually agree. Long term, I think the centre could be an interesting option for him. So, yeah, I agree. I think it'll be an interesting option. And the first team football factor that Toka mentions, um, I completely agree. I think it would be a crying, crying shame if he was put in the reserves for two years forgotten about and then he, his motivation could drift away. So Dortmund would be an interesting option. And I think the the good thing about Sinchenko's situation at Ufa is, first of all, Ufa might be relegated, so he's not that expensive. It's it's not Alexander Milanchuk we're talking about, where a club would have to pay 10, 15, 20 million euros. I mean, Sinchenko could go for, I don't think he'll be sold for more than 5 million euros, especially not if they are relegated. So we have some other clubs who can be in the run for him. It's not only Manchester City and Barcelona and the biggest clubs who can afford to spend a lot of money on talents. We could also see clubs like Ajax or FC Porto or some of the, the smaller European clubs who have really been successful in developing young talents in the in past many years. And I, I think that, that would be great for him. Dortmund as well, because Dortmund seems like a club where he could get the chance, but... I still feel that that might be too big of a step for him. So I'd like to see him go to a, a bit smaller destination at first, also just to, he hasn't played European football yet. And I think that's that would be nice for him to try before moving to one of the biggest destinations in Europe. So if a club like Ajax came along, that would be that could be really interesting, I think. Yeah, of course, you know all about the Danes at Ajax with Christian Eriksen, of course, Tucker. But I'm thinking, why does he have to leave Russia? Why can't he stay in Russia? Perhaps perhaps not Ufa, but I will come to that later. Maybe you could go to a higher up the league. But this is where things would get complicated with the foreign player rule, you'd think, Andrew. 
Well, I was just about to say the only only slight snag is the uh, foreigner rule. Although the point you make about staying within Russia is is one I've made myself. Um, I've been speaking to Man City fans on social media um, the last few days about this, and they're they're really interested to find out about him. Um, and one of the things they mentioned was as an option if City did sign him or another big club, um, perhaps he would be loaned out. And, you know, we've seen a few times players being loaned straight back to the league they've come from, um, like Divock Origia at uh, Liverpool. He was loaned straight back to France. And that might be an option. I think he really could be ideal for... Um, I, I'm loath to say Spartak because I, I don't know how um, they're going to be next season, whether Elena Chef will still be there. Um, but, you know, CSKA, would he get into the neat side? Possibly not. Um, but, yeah, I think that might be an option. It would be a graded progression for him. So, yeah, I agree. I think um, CSKA, I, I would pick out for him. What about... Uh, Go on. Yeah, I think it would be really interesting as well to see him on a team who who's in control of the games, a team who's expected to win every week and a team who simply has the ball more than Ufa has. I mean, when he, when he plays... At the moment, he doesn't have the ball very much. He has to to play some very direct passes, and it could be interesting to see him on a better team with some better teammates. And yeah, I agree. I, I don't think we should rule out Russia or, or Ukraine for that matter. If he if he found a, a club like um, Andrew mentioned Spartak, I, I've written down uh, Krasnodar or Shakhtar mm-hmm. or Dynamo Kiev. I mean, all clubs who who are known to develop talents and. And, and, and could make room for him in the starting lineup and play European football, most importantly. And I, I think that, that would be a, a sensible move at first. Just like I said before, I don't think he should go straight to the biggest destinations. He should take a step on the way and gradually develop. But what about staying at Ufa then? I mean, we mentioned the direct style of play, but surely being that low down the table, and also he should pay Ufa back a bit, surely, because... I'm looking at situation with my own club, Birmingham City. We had Damari Gray, who left for Leicester in January. But last summer, he was rumoured to leave. But he decided to stay at Birmingham for six months just because he knew he would get the first-team football and get a, about 20 games of the season under his belt. Perhaps Zinchenko should look at doing the same option. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a compromise at the very least. Um, I mean, Ufa's... Ufa's form has been... It's quite hard to predict, really. They've, not, they've fallen off a little bit... Um, uh, recently, and I mean they lost to CSKA tonight. Um, but I do think there's, I do think there's a good chance they might possibly even escape the relegation playoff places. So there would be at least a bit, a bit of positivity about the club. And for a while, yeah, like you say, why, why rock the boat? You know, he's, um, he's got his role in the team, and he clearly, uh, he clearly enjoys playing there. Um, six months could be, could be an option. Uh, I think the problem will be if they get relegated, because then I think Ufo won't have a choice. They'll have to cash in on him while they can. Um, so I think a lot depends on his club's actual future. They stay up, possibly. If not, I think it's case closed. He'll go. Toka, what would you say about Zinchenko staying at Ufo? No, I think I think it's time for him to to move on. I'm I'm generally not a big fan of moving in January, especially not for young players, because it, it just seems like the whole integration into the new team is is, is more is, is more difficult, and you don't get uh, the preseason with your new team, and and everything just gets more difficult. And I think Sinchenko has outgrown Ufa, whether or not they they survive in the league. I think it's it's time for him to move on. He's played for a, a year and a half now, played a lot of a lot of first team football, and I think. The danger we often see with these—he's—he's he's not Russian, I know—but but with uh, young players in Russian league is that they don't challenge themselves enough. And I think Sanchenko has proven he's—he's he's the best player at Ufa at the moment. So I think it's time for him to move on to a bigger challenge and and, and challenge himself more to to develop even further. Otherwise, I, I fear his development could stall and he would just end up wasting a, a six month or, or a whole year. Now, I know we don't really specialise here, but do you think he's got a chance of going to the Euros with Ukraine? Well, I mean, it, I, don't know, I don't know about the Ukrainian league in depth, um, about the other players they have, but 
I can't see why not. Um, Ukraine aren't, aren't expected to, to go a huge way in the Euros, but um, if he was part of a squad, I mean, he'd be a great option to come on for, for, any, for any country. He, he would do a job. Um, and I'm, I'm a fan of taking a player like him who's had some experience already. I mean, remember when uh, Sven Juren Eriksson called up Theo Walcott um, 10 years ago and didn't play him when he had hardly had any minutes at all of professional football? That was a waste. That was too early. But I think Zinchenko could be, could be worth it for the experience. Um, so, yeah, I'd say so. I don't see why not. And, and I, I wouldn't fear putting in Sinchenko even against the, against the best opponents because he is used to facing teams like Senate and CSK. So, he, I mean, he could, he could make an impact even at the, at the highest level. So, yeah, I don't see why not either. Yeah, we'll certainly be watching with interest on Zinchenko's development. But I'd like to move on now because I think this is a topic we'll cover much, in much more depth, and that's Krasnodar. Their form, they're vying to get into the Champions League. They're currently in fourth on 50 points. That's only four points behind Rostov in second place with a superior goal difference. Well, they're, they're 11 goals ahead. So, really, Andrew, what do you put down their success to this season? Well, I think their recruitment is has been very, very sensible. They um, they picked up Vyacheslav uh, Podbodoskin in the winter um, for, a, well, technically a free. Um, and Fyodor Smolov is obviously the star of of the of the team at the moment. He's uh, he's just scored tonight. Even he's on was it something like ten goals in the last six seven games. Um, and he will go on to star for Russia in this summer, I'm sure. Um, so they, they've got a reasonably well-balanced squad. Not the deepest, but they've got, they've got loads of options going forwards. Um, and their defence uh, is reasonably settled. So they've not had to make huge waves. They've not had to go and make a signing like, uh, like Mel Gredeco, for example. Um, so I think Smolov was a huge part of it. But their all-round recruitment has been sensible within their means. So that's what I put it down to. And Toka, can you just tell the listeners a bit on how Krasadar play? Because I know you did the European preview with us for their match against Sparta Prague with the CZE football. Oh, yeah, sure. I mean, I think it's it's actually difficult to put Krasadar's way of playing into, into a box because it, it's a very dynamic team. They have some, some wonderful players who who all contribute to the team, both offensively and defensively. But but in general, you can say that it is a team who, who prefers to have the ball. And when they have the ball, they can move it, it forward uh, very fast because they have, as Andrew said, they have Smolov up, up front, who is, he, he might be the best best striker in Russia at the moment. He has at least a top scorer. But they also have a very solid defense with um, Klitschuk in the goal and, and, and the two strong Scandinavian central defenders. So it is a very, very well-balanced team who who is among the best best Russian clubs when they have the ball. So, Andrew, do you think they'll actually... Well, actually, before I say that, how much credit should the manager take here? Because we focused a lot on Smolov and the players and things, but surely the manager should take a lot of credit here, Kanalov. Well, I, I think you're right, because if you if you look at the... You've got the managers in the Russian Premier League. A lot of others have... You, you notice them more. And I think the, the, the difference with Kononov is that simply he gets on with his job. I mean, he, he doesn't cause a huge amount of, you know, excessive attention in the media. He's he's dealt with the the players that he's been given very well. Um, and and he's, he's tactically, he's very astute because if you think of, I mean, Smolov is an easy example, but you look at the players they have like Wanderson and Ari and Yaozinho, um, they've got a lot of players who have, yeah, I'm not sure exactly what their best position is. Um, Smolov has been played out wide before and down the middle, uh, as has Wanderson. Um, and he's he's really grasped the front three concept very well. Um, and if a player knows that he's going to be used in the right way, not just pigeonholed and left in a centre-forward position without any variation, it gives them motivation if they know that they've got a manager who's bold enough to 
show them how he wants them to play in a different in a different formation or a different position. So I think his calmness under pressure and his and his humility is a is a very very strong weapon that Krasnodar have. Yeah, sorry, Andrew. I am going to come to you again because, of course, with your close followings of football by the Ural Mountains, you'll know he was at Ural last season. Can you tell us a bit of a background about his former Ural? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, I I first saw him live at um, when Ural played uh, their last league game of the season. Now, Ural was struggling last season um, and he came in on loan um, and he was used as mostly as a number nine. Now, you have to remember before last season, He'd only scored, I think it was seven professional goals in his entire career up to the age of 25, I believe it was. I mean, it's just an incredible statistic for someone of such ability. So mentally, he needed a boost. He came to Rodal, a struggling side, and he showed so much maturity to lead the line. Um, he's a surprisingly strong player. Um, he held the ball up. He, he had pace. He got... He got involved in every attack, and he saved Udal, in my opinion. They scraped, scraped through um, surviving the automatic relegation by, I think it was goal difference or a point at most. Um, and it, it, it was a perfect move for both the club and him. He gained his, he gained his uh, confidence back, got his move to Krasnodar, and, and now he's just absolutely flying. Um, but uh, I'd like to think that Udal played a large part in his form at the moment. So, Toker, at the start of the season, we saw Artyom Zuba banging the goals in. He was, I think he was up there with the top scorers in the Champions League for Zenit, and people were saying that he is the guaranteed starter for the Russian national team this summer. Does Smolov challenge that, or will Slutsky uh, just be quite dogmatic in that sense and keep Zuba there? I mean, I think every player who scores... 18 goals that as Smolov has already at this point will challenge for a spot in the starting lineup. I do, however, however, think that Slutsky might use him on the wing instead of as a central striker because he seems very happy for using Tuba as the um, as the target man up front. But but Smolov could definitely offer something else. Um, I could see Smolov playing against England, for example, if if Russia are going with a counter-based approach, then Smolov would be perfect up front. And and it definitely offers um, Slutsky some some tactical alternatives, which which is very important because for a long time, Tshuva really looked like the only option Russia had up front. So yeah, so to answer your question shortly, he I wouldn't be surprised at all to see him start, but it might not be as a central striker. Andrew, would you pretty much go along with that? We've heard your adulation of Smolov over the <laughs> well, I think uh, I think yes, I would. I think Zuba is is still likely to start as the central man, but I think that I don't see that being a problem um, for Smoller. He he's already shown his versatility, and it could actually, like Toke says, work out very well because if you can fit him into the side as well, I personally would like to see Shatov on the other wing offers a bit more pace. Um, and I, I think it, I think it will work well for him. I mean, it's it's the right time for him to get a place in the side. Good tournament, and that's the rest of his career boosted for me. Now I want to talk more about the club in general here, because as I mentioned at the start, they were only founded in 2008, so that's only eight years ago. Now you may wonder how they've got so far in such a short space of time. They have been at the centre of controversy. Their city rivals in Kuban Krasnodar currently near the bottom of the Premier League, their second bottom and they're pretty much as certain to go down the absolute laughing stock of the Russian Premier League this season but of course they're quite annoyed because Krasnodar have had a bit of a helping hand along the way in their promotions so to speak to the Russian Premier League they've been given a bit of a helping hand and it's not really been down to their own efforts I mean Toko do you want to just explain to the listeners how that's come about? Yeah well basically they've they have actually never won promotion by themselves. All the re- promotions they've received have been either by teams um, from the division above them um, leaving the league due to financial problems, or it has been um, clubs who finished above them in the league who simply couldn't afford to to, to promote themselves and who, who didn't meet the standards for, for getting the license for the new division. So 
Yeah, they have they have never earned um they have never earned the uh, um a promotion for themselves, which is quite remarkable. And it does it does prove how how powerful um their owner Sergei Galitsky is. I mean I see the promotions they've received as, as fair enough, but but it yeah, it, it does prove that they have they know the right people and they do have a certain amount of power in the world of Russian football at the moment. Yeah, Andrew, you can't really argue with the technical aspects of the promotion, but surely this shows, I mean, this is a whole new kettle of fish, but this shows the problems with Russian football and the general discussions we've had about the problems down in the lower leagues here. Well, unfortunately, it does. Um, you, you can't argue with it, really, because, I mean, a place needs to be filled. If a club cannot support themselves in the league and they, they can't take up a place or somebody has to, and they technically did earn the rise. They were of that level when they were given the chance. So, I mean, obviously, Kuban are going to be frustrated by it. Um, I mean, I've spoken to a few people who who we know Sergei Galitsky and he wasn't very popular in the, in the region about a decade ago um, and particularly when he started up his new club and well wasn't favoritized but got the luck that perhaps other clubs haven't had but he's he's made he's made a real effort to establish a long-term youth setup and we haven't really seen any products from it yet. Um, the Krasnodar squad at the moment doesn't have a single um, senior player um, from the youth setup. But it's a long-term process. It will eventually bear fruit. Um, they have satellite youth centres all around the um, Krasnodar Krai. Um, so I think in the long term, people will appreciate his understanding and his genuine interest in football, unlike a lot of owners who are there for the financial gain and as soon as they lose interest, they're off. So I think a lot of the jealousy will, well, Kuban will always take their city vibes, that's what happens, but I think a lot of neutrals will appreciate Galitsky what he has done and will continue to do the Russian football. Um, sorry, Andrew, I think we lost you a bit there, but I think we got the general idea. Um, Take you there? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, you're you're much clearer. Sorry, Andrew. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> yeah. What I was going to say was, we talked about these sort of undeserved promotions, but of course that hasn't kept them in the Russian Premier League all this year, all these years. So how have they managed to do that? The the, the thing about Krasnodar is the the club has a really strong foundation. As Andrew said, they have um, they have they have the owner Sergei Galitsky who has really built the club slowly instead of forcing things to go through quickly like we saw the Anshi for example where they sign a lot of expensive players and everything have to go go so fast um Krasnodar have developed uh, gradually for example they build the academy in a few years I'm certain we'll see a lot of good young players coming through there but I remember a certain interview with Galiski where he says something along the lines of that he, he was in it for the long run and he wanted to learn the, the, all the processes of football and Krasnodar as a club wanted to learn how, how, how the whole football work, uh, world uh, worked. So they want to understand what they're doing and they're not in a rush. They know if they keep doing things right, they'll, they will get to the top of, of Russian football and not just at the top as we see them now where they'll play Europa League, but they'll get to the absolute top and could challenge the Senate and, uh, for, for the title and the... The, the, the dominance of, of, of Russian football. And that is really the what what makes them unique in uh, in Russia. They have a strong foundation and so far they have been able to go a bit under the radar. You don't see a lot of um, a lot of headlines fr from Krasnodar. But but that's also because they know what they're doing. You don't see any distractions from the team. I mean they don't sack coaches like Spartak do or Lokomotiv do all the time. They have their, their patience so the players know all they have to do is to play football they get the salary on time the, the coach is the same they, they have the a tactical foundation and that that really goes a long way in a, in a league where you see half the players in the in the league aren't paid on time and coaches are moving left and right and you have all these crazy stories but none of them are really involving Krasnodar so yeah you, I, I think go on. sorry no, sorry go on, go on. 
Well, so yeah, Toke, I just um, I like I like the point you make about the stability. Um, but I would also add to that that um, he's Sergei Galitsky is a very he's a very shrewd, astute um, owner because he knows he's he's realistic. He doesn't just he doesn't just bomb forward and like you say throw money at it and bring in big stars, but off the pitch as well. Remember when the Crimean clubs. Uh, wanted to, well, did, but were thrown out of the Russian league system. Um, Galitsky was in a meeting with UEFA representatives, and he said, look, we, we, have to, we have to effectively do what UEFA says. We have to be careful, because if we don't, they will damage the future of our clubs in Europe. And he was accused by Vladimir Yakunin, the head of Russian railways, um, of crawling on his stomach to the west and he he's just realistic he realizes you've got to toe the line between you know promoting your own club but also towing the line with uefa too because he has ambitions to take them even further um so you know it's good times to be a krasnodar fan like that yeah what i was gonna say when i rudely interrupted you andrew was in in the nicest way possible are they the russian premier league's most normal club in terms of, I'm thinking at the top, they don't have the big money and they're uh -huh. not at the bottom with all the players getting paid at random times, but they are the most steady, normal club in the league. I think, I think they are, and that's the one of the biggest compliments you could pay them, I think. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Um, they, they, they're, not, they're not involved in, well, not that we know of, at least, um, any deep controversies. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's an unusual club. Um, in a lot of ways, and I think to say that the most normal club is the is a is a high high compliment indeed. And I think I think you can you can look at it as a, a sign of how stable the club is. You can look at just look at the amount of Scandinavian players, for example, they have CSK and oh, and Krasnodar. Yeah, <laughs> CSK and Krasnodar are the only teams in in Russia who who have been able to really attract Scandinavian players and. Being, being from Denmark myself, I know that the mentality of the football players is that they really prefer to have sort of a safety net. They want to go somewhere where they know that the salary is on time and that the coach isn't sacked um, out of the blue. And I think just the fact you can look at how they have Stefan Strandberg and Andreas Granqvist and Rano Sigurdsson, they have all these, and they had, uh, yeah, they have all these players from Scandinavia and the Nordic countries and it isn't easy for the Russian clubs to attract players from Western Europe unless they pay them a lot of money. But Krasnodar managed to do it because it is a it is a really attractive environment for, for a player to go. This is totally off topic, but it does go back to what you just said, Togar. Is that a particular problem in Scandinavia then with the payments and things? Or is it just that they want to go to a bigger league, but um, but they know they can't go to the top leagues, if you see what I mean? Uh, no, it's not a problem in Scandinavia. For, but for example... We only have had, we have only had one Danish player playing in Russia ever, but we have heard of plenty of players um, refusing to go there because they were afraid of not getting their money on time. And and it's the same if if they get offers from Turkey, for example. It's also can it be certain if unless it's Galatasaray or Fenerbahce, they would usually refuse the offer simply because they want to be sure they get paid on time and and that everything is as it is in in their home with the stability they know from from their childhood and all that. And this, listeners, is what the Russian Football News podcast brings you. It brings you not only Russian football, but the Scandinavian mindset. So you can be very <laughs> grateful for that. Now, we haven't obviously finished this season yet, but will they be disappointed? I know they're going for the Champions League, and I'll ask you about that later. Will they be disappointed that they haven't, they've fallen away from the title charge? Andrew? Well, I think after last season, it must have just been... You couldn't get much more heartbreaking than two minutes from the end of the season when Pontus Vermblum equalised to be edged out of Champions League football. But I don't think it was the worst thing in the world in the long term for them, because they, they wouldn't have been ready, I don't think. This season, they had a good but unspectacular campaign um, that ended fairly badly against Sparta Prague. Um, so I think... Of course they would. Of course they would want Champions League football. The money, the, the fixtures you'd get, 
But I still think Europa League is the best league for them at the moment. I think another season um, where they can improve on what they've done so far, they got a good result against Dortmund this season, um, perhaps they can set their ambitions to getting either perhaps quarterfinals or, or further. Um, so they will be disappointed to miss out. And I think just about, I think they will miss out. I think Zenit will pick them. Um, but I think Europa League is best for them next season. So, Toka, would you go along with Andrew there, saying that the Europa League's the best for them? I mean, what I would say is they'll be very disappointed to have gone out to Sparta. I know Sparta Prague did actually really well this season, knocked out some big sides, but they'll have been really disappointed to not get further in that competition. Yeah, it was it was definitely, of course, it was disappointing that they were eliminated by Sparta. But I don't think they'll be disappointed by not going to the Champions League because let's not forget how they started the season. They were absolutely awful and were trailing. They've been trailing the whole season, basically. So for them to have to finish fourth or maybe even third if, they, if they're lucky, I mean, I think that that beats all their goals set for this season, especially combined with the fact that they advanced from the Europa League group stage. And unlike last season, they, they have never really been close to qualifying for the Champions League this season. So I don't think anyone will will be disappointed about that. Although, of course, it would be wonderful for them to play in the Champions League. But I don't think that has been a topic for a long time now. So with next season, I was going to ask whether there's any chance of them putting up a title challenge. But... I'm also thinking lots of clubs complain about the fact that if they're in the Europa League, that pretty much eliminates that due to the, the Thursday fixtures that people seem to moan a lot about. I don't see the, the argument myself, but Andrew, would you go along with that, that actually the Europa League could damage their domestic form? I, I think it certainly could. We've seen um, Rubin at the beginning of this season. I mean, last season they, they did, did brilliantly, but... Um, they they just couldn't cope. They were they were absolutely terrible um, for a long time in the league. They were near, if not in, the relegation zone. I think at one point. Um, and as soon as they left Europa League, they managed to start picking up um, results. Whether it's a direct correlation, I don't know. But I I do think it is a distraction. Um, it's a strange thing, really. I find there's you know there's a there's a lot of competition for the Europa League places and it's been a you know good topic of debate teams are clearly motivated for it and yet when they're in it the next season they complain about the the fixture pileup so um i don't think they can pretend they don't want europe however much it might disrupt their their schedule um i think it's something they have to learn to deal with if they have any ambitions and i do think they do have the ambitions to to move on in europe so um i think I think they will be able to cope. They've had a couple of campaigns now, and they should um, they should understand how to deal with it. Yeah, I mean, the Europe thing's really interesting. I mean, coming at it from my point of view, this is a completely separate rant, by the way, but I hate it when clubs and fans especially moaning about being in Europe. You're in Europe, for God's sake. When we were in there as Birmingham, we were just absolutely loving it. We didn't care that the league form tailed <laughs> off and we went up, but we were in Europe, so who cares? Anyway, coming to a different point... I want to look at some unsung heroes here because we've talked a lot about Fyodor Smolov and quite rightly, but Toka, I'm looking at players like Mamaev. Would you mention anybody else there as an unsung hero of this season? I, I think that, that it's difficult to just point out a few players. Mamaev has, I think he, he's one of my favourite players. He's been absolutely wonderful this season. I believe he's the player with the most assists in the league, or at least he is somewhere in the top, and he's also in the top on the on the top scorer list. They also have, Kritschuk has been fantastic in goal. They have the Scandinavian central defenders. Um, I don't like, like Ragnar Sigurdsson because he played for Copenhagen, but <laughs> and Hanke Quist is also one of my favorites. They have Rausinho on the on the midfield, also a wonderful player, and he's back from injury now. So they, they really have, have, a, have a great team. Um, I thought about something for the whole Europa League debate, just to go back to that one for a second. And I think it, 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 it's spoiled simply to, to complain about playing in Europe. I really, it, it, it's just, mm -hmm. it's a dream for so many football fans. So to complain about playing in Europe, that's, that's really spoiled. And then you don't even deserve, deserve to play in Europe. That's, at least that's my opinion. Thank you. Andrew, what about your unsung heroes <clears throat> in the Krasnodar campaign? 
Well, I'm, I'm a big fan of Charles Cabaret, um, the, the holding midfielder. Um, it's, it's, not a, it's not a spectacular player, but he's a good passer. Um, he's physically imposing. Um, and I, I, think he's, I think he just lets the others do their job very well. I, I'm always a fan of those players who, you know, who go go under the radar. I mean, don't laugh here, but I one of my favourite seasons of a player was when Phil Neville played in central midfield for Manchester United, and there was that game at Old Trafford where he outplayed Patrick Vieira, and I thought that's football at its best. You know, giving him a chance to outdo someone else in their own position. Now Cabaret is a specialist there, and I think he's one of the best facilitators in midfield. Uh, in, in the family. So I'd like to give him a shout as well. Okay, so we've already covered whether they get in the Champions League, so I just want a yes or no answer here. Next season, because you, you, I asked the question, you both avoided it, I'm just saying that. So, <laughs> next season, could Krasnodar win the title? No. Uh, no, unfortunately. That was a, I hate saying that, but no. That was a simultaneous no. That, that was pretty firm. <laughs> Okay, so we're going to move on here to another team that plays in green, and that is Tere Grozny. They are one of Toka's favourite clubs, I know. We, like <laughs> I said, we had a question about them a couple of weeks ago on one of the SoundClouds from... Uh, sorry if I pronounce this wrong. It's Dashadre. I don't know. I think it might just be a SoundCloud username. Either way, I've given you a shout-out. So we had a mention about them, about whether they could get into Europe. Now, it seems that's actually tailed off in recent weeks. So, Andrew, what would you say... Are the reasons behind that? Well, they 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 lack a they lack a striker who who is fit, um, and I think that's been their problem. They four of the last five games they've lost by a single goal. Um, their defence is their strong point, um, and they had um, Zaro Sadayev who was starting to hit a nice run of form before before winter but then he had a I think it was a cruciate ligament injury and he's been out for the whole season um, Mbenge Able Mbenge who has received various gifts for crucial goals in the past from Khadirov um, he's been injured with a, a knee injury recently so without without a, an out and out striker They've struggled to they struggled to score, and their their away form has not been not been fantastic either. Um, so, I think if they can get Sadai fit, bring in another striker for next season, and if they can keep Matze Rebus, um, then they've got a good chance at going for Europe again next season. I think. Yeah, just before I, I sort of finish with you on that point, Andrew, could you tell us a bit about Rebus? Because I know you mentioned him before we we came on here. Just. Uh, Tell the listeners a bit about him because they might not have heard of him. Well, he's he's essentially a winger, a left-footed winger. Um, although he has been playing quite a lot at fullback this season because um, Terek have had a few injuries there. Um, he's, I think, I believe he's their top scorer actually. I think he's got about seven, eight goals this season in the league. Um, so he's he he likes his long shots. Uh, he's got a good eye for goal, and he. Unfortunately, though, the problem is that he's, his contract runs out this summer, so he might be looking for a move away. I've heard comments, nothing confirmed yet, but comments that have been made by representatives saying, well, he's interested in other clubs, other clubs have been talking to him. Um, possibly a move to Germany, I heard. Uh, so <clears throat> he's, he's, a, he's a winger, um, but he's a, he's a versatile player, and he has... He has experience. Um, well, he's, he's got a good eye for goal, but he's got a good experience in other leagues too when he played back home. So, uh, a useful signing it could be for somebody this summer. Yeah, Andrew mentioned the chairman there, uh, Ramzan Kadyrov. Toka, I know that this is a specialist subject of yours. I don't know if you're aware of the British TV series Mastermind, but that uh, is designed when people sit in a chair and are an- answering questions on a specialist subject. So, this is now your specialist subject. So can you explain to the listeners about his ties with the Russian government and to the area and the football club? Yeah, well, basically he's the, he's the president of, of Chechnya, where Krasny is, is the capital, of course. So he is a very powerful man. He was His, his father was also president of Chechnya. Um, 
he was part of the his father was part of the rebellion against in in Chechnya in the 90s but then he switched side and pledged allegiance to Russia and was afterwards given a position of as president in the in the country and then his father was assassinated and so you could say that Ramzan Kadyrov basically inherited the the power later on when he became old enough for that he is um, officially is in, he isn't officially the president of Turkey. He's just the honorary official, um, honorary president, because UEFA doesn't allow him to be the president as the whole you mix politics and and football. But he is the man calling the shots. He is the man making sure that Turek has more than enough money. That they have a fancy stadium. That they have almost everything they need and. We have seen him make some quite interesting, let's let's put it that way, remarks at the football game. For example, there was a game where he he took the microphone and started using the stadium speakers to insult the referee and and so on. So he is a, a, a quite a, let's call him a, a colorful guy, and then also a guy who doesn't really care about human rights but that's that's not very relevant in, in this topic i guess I, I will be the lawyer here and say allegedly doesn't care about human rights <laughs> <laughs> don't forget his cap that he strokes very suspiciously at matches yeah it, it's it, if, if you imagine a bond villain then <laughs> with a with a bigger beard than a bond, bond villain and then a <laughs> A cap, then then you have half the picture, I think. Yeah, when you talking about him earlier, I was just then with the political connections. I was I was immediately came into my head was Silvio Berlusconi at Milan. Would you make that comparison? Oh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure actually. Um, you you could say so, yeah, because although I'm no expert in Italian football, I have the feeling that Berlusconi also used his power to to grant Milan some some big advantages. The difference is of course that Kadyrov's power is only in Chechnya where he where he, he only governs uh, Terry Grasny whereas um Berlusconi of course had the whole of Italy. But but he is really he's making sure that the club is well funded and everything, which is as we talked about um regarding Krasnodar a very important thing in Russia. Yeah, we could go on about Kadyrov Rages. And for listeners, I'd encourage you to Google him or any other search engine to just to look him up and just find out some information about him because he is actually a really interesting character. But we'll go back to matters on the pitch now. They're actually in seventh place, so that is... They're, they're five points behind the European spots, and that last spot is occupied by Locomotive. So, Andrew, could they get Europe? This season, I don't think so. Uh, I think it's just a bit too far off now. Um, uh, but next season, I, I think they, I don't see why they couldn't. They will need to bring in a couple of players. Like I say, I think a striker and if Rebus leaves, then a, a winger. Um, but this season, I, I'm afraid it's too far off. Um, I think I think Spartak probably will get the last Europa League spot. Um, but, you know, Tarek have dropped some some silly points in recent weeks. Had they had they won a couple of those, then I would have said yes. But I, at this stage, I'd say no. And Toko, what, what do you think has been behind their downfall this season? Well, it makes it sound quite dramatic, but you know what I'm coming at. Yeah. Well, I think their biggest weakness is simply that they're not, they, they lack offensive strength. They, they can't go to a difficult away game and, and take control of the game and get the goals they need. For example, they lost they lost against Ufa a couple of weeks ago. Uh, ago, and while they're really good at home, where they for some yeah that, where the defensive strength can carry them a long way, they just need that decisive striker who can who score the goals they need uh, so they can get the victories because it is really a problem for them. Andrew said earlier they needed a, a healthy striker. I think they basically need a striker because. Mbenge, Mitrichev and Sarayev, I don't see any of them having the, the the level needed for them to to finish in the top five because they, they simply need someone who can score 10, 15 goals per season. And I don't see any of them doing that at the moment. You can just see Krasnodar, for example, how how far a guy like Smolov can, can carry you or 
Melgarejo from uh, Kuban earlier this season or Nias for Locomotive. The, the Russian Premier League doesn't have a lot of goals, so if you have a striker who who, who just scores every time and you always know he'll find the goal, it can carry you such a long way, almost one player alone. Yeah, that, and that, that, that is what they need at the moment. Yeah, that Quincy to that Spartak as well. Quincy, exactly, another per- perfect example of he's basically carrying the whole team on, on by his own. Yeah, so, Andrew, I'm, a player that was called up to the Russian national team, interestingly, from Telic, was Alek Ivanov. He's quite a, a big midfielder. He looks a bit of a beast. When I saw him, when I went to the Lithuania game, he played there, and he was he looks quite tall in person. I was I was quite surprised that he looked a bit smaller when I'd seen him before. So, is there anything you can tell the, the listeners about Ivanov? Well, he's he's very, very high up the assist list, Um this season, he's he's supplied I think something like 10, 11 goals this season. Um, he, like you say, he's he's physically imposing. He doesn't necessarily look like an especially attacking midfielder, although he he has he has the intelligence to play further forward. Um, I think he could be he could, he could play further back or further forward in in the centre of midfield. So he's he's got uh, he's got good passing. Physically, he's he's imposing, and I don't think he's ever quite going to have the quality to get into the Russian national team as a first choice starter. But he he certainly has a chance to be part of the squad. Whether he'll make the Euros this summer, I'm not sure. But um, he's he's certainly a player that if Tarek lost, they would find difficult to replace. Um, so I think he and Rebus are the two players that keep this. This summer, if they don't, then they then then they could be in trouble. There was some ferocious typing going on there. Who was that? Not me, I'm afraid. <laughs> Toka, I heard your ferocious typing. Oh yeah. So I just got a message on Facebook. I had to reply. Sorry. <laughs> oh. oh, I see. We're not number one. But I, I, will, I will ask you about Ivanov anyway. I hope you're listening. <laughs> yeah, Andrew, yeah, sure. Andrew says that he's he's not quite sure whether he'll make it for the Euros, especially not into the starting lineup. What would your opinion be on that? I I, I agree. I mean, I, I think uh, Ivanov is, is a great player. He's, together with Rubens, as Andrew said, the best player for, for Terry. But, but he is 29 now, and he could become... Um, he, he is a late bloomer. He was in the squad for the 2008 Euro without playing. He only got his debut on the national team last year. So he had to wait a long a long time for that. But he's a great player, but there are just too many players on, on his position and too many younger players in, in front of him at the moment. He could he could earn a, a call-up now now and then if, if Russia has some injuries, but he's not. it's not the basket I would put my egg in at the moment. Yeah, there are certainly better uh, baskets. That's, I love the, exactly. the pun, I love the puns and things we use. Well, not that's not a pun. What 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 is that? That's totally sayings. Cool. That's it. That's a saying. Yeah, I love the sayings we use on this podcast. <laughs> anyway, what are their prospects for next season, Andrew? Because we don't think we're gonna, they're going to get into Europe next year, this year. Sorry. So, with the addition of a striker, would you be fairly confident of them securing a Europa League place? Um, I would certainly put them as a more well, if they get the striker as a more stable option than Lokomotiv and Spartak, I see those those three being in the mix for the the last uh, European spot next season. It, it is very important they get the striker. I think it makes all the difference because without the striker, then their style away from home, like Toku explained, is very very limited. Um, they they've only scored thirteen goals um, away from home, which is. Um, I'm right in saying it's the lowest in the top half. So the striker isn't crucial. If they get the striker, I would say, yes, they've got a good chance. Um, but I'm not sure how easy it will be to attract a player to Grozny. If it's going to be from outside Russia, unfortunately, stereotypes, you know, mud sticks. Um, people think Chechnya is not the most glamorous place to go and play. So um, I'm not sure if they'll be able to get the striker in. So if they do, yes. If they don't, no. Well, that was certainly a very firm answer. Uh, Toko, I was going to come to you as well. With the, They've actually got a really good defensive record. They've only conceded 25 goals all season. But like I said, well, like Andrew said, with that lack of attacking options, especially if Rebus leaves as well, next season, what would you say on there? I'm thinking 
if Rivas leaves and they get another striker in, surely that would just be like for like and it wouldn't actually improve the situation. I, I don't I don't see them qualifying for Europe. In my opinion, they are together with Ruben Kassan and and Rostov. If if we, we look basically on the squads on paper, they are around the sixth, seventh best team in Russia with the Moscow sides and Krasnodar and Senate all being above them and much better than them. So I mean if they have a wonder season like, like Rostov had this season, of course they can go into Europe. But at the moment, I, I see them finishing between sixth and, and tenth because that's that is where I rate the strength. And yeah, as you said, I'm fairly certain they lose Rubus. He will, he seems himself certain to move to a bigger destination or maybe back to Ligia Warsaw, Warsaw where he came from. And yeah, I don't think they have they don't have the team to to finish much much higher than they are at the moment. I could also see them lose their their good defender uh, Semenyov because there are a lot of a, a lot of top teams who need new defenders CSK and and Lokomotiv and a Russian a, a defender with a Russian passport is very attractive at the moment. So I, I actually could see them come out of the transfer window worse than they started. So certainly some positive signs ahead for Terek, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> They play tomorrow against... Well, this is recorded on Wednesday, by the way. They play on Thursday against Amkar, which is probably the most boring game you'll ever watch by the sounds <laughs> of it. That's going to be terrible. But just uh, just before we finish the whole podcast, I'm just going to leave you with a few bits of news for the listeners. Just a couple of headlines, really. We've got uh, quite some major ones, really. We've had Andrei Kabalyov leaving Dynamo. He's officially stepped down. That's because they're, they're, quite, they're on the verge of sort of looking a bit wobbly and Dynamo Moscow of course have never been relegated from uh, the Russian Premier League or any Soviet League top leagues for that matter so a quick opinion on that from you two just very quickly I, I think it's uh, a crazy time to be um, getting rid of or you know however he's been however he's part of the company it's a crazy time to do it three games to go what on earth is a new manager going to come in and bring? I mean, this is critical stuff. They're one point above relegation playoffs. So uh, I think this could be a disastrous move for them. And Tucker? I mean, I, I love when the teams keep their head calm and, and keep the managers, but Dynamo has, has been absolutely awful lately. And I see the record. They have one point in the last six games. But Dovia has has been pretty good lately, so I understand it. They I understand they need someone new to put some faith back in the squad. I don't think they they have opted for a, a long term solution now, but they just need to get that that shock into the squad to to reignite the players for the last three maybe five games if they end in the in the playoff, and then I th- I'm fairly certain they'll find a new coach in the in the summer. Yeah, they will. So yeah, I, I understand why they sacked him because they they simply needed to do something because it was getting quite desperate uh, lately. Yeah, they play Rostov, of course, who are going for the championship tomorrow. The head of youth development is actually taking the reins for the first team, so it'd be interesting to see how they the youthful squad performs under him. Uh, just with a quick bit of other news, uh, we've got Yevan Sel, Sel oh my God Selyevnov who's left Kuban, and he was only signed in January there, the Ukrainian striker. So, obviously, like I said earlier, Kuban Krasnodar, really a laughing stock of the season here. <laughs> you know, Selivnum leaving, bit of a nightmare. So, just to leave you with a few scores, because there are games going on at this time. Maybe not scores, because they'll be irrelevant in five minutes, but uh, we spoke about Smolov earlier. He's He scored tonight. And uh, just in terms of the championship, CSKA won against Ufa. Zenit are currently leading, and you expect them to close that game out against Mordovia. To be fair, Smolov has actually scored a hat-trick today. Has he? Oh, my score hasn't updated. <laughs> oh, wow, fair enough. He's on 20 goals in the league right now. That is, that, that's really remarkable, actually. That's, I, that's not something you see every season no. for, for a player in the Russian league to score that many. Yeah, surely a starter for Slutsky, that's all I'm saying. Okay, so gents, like I said, I think we're pretty much out of time. Thanks again for your wonderful contributions. Again, I'll ask you for your Twitter handles. I'm sure the listeners get fed up, but if they haven't followed you by now, they'll they will follow you after this podcast. I promise. So, <laughs> Andrew, let's have you. 
Uh, I'm at Andrew M.I.J. Flint. Okay, lovely. And Tucker? I'm at um, Tucker, T-O-K-E, Thelade, T-H-E-I-L-A-D-E. Okay, perfect. And I'm Thomas underscore Giles underscore UK. We are at Russ Football News on Twitter. The website, of course, is RussianFootballNews.com. Check out the Facebook page. Just search for Russian Football News. Subscribe to this podcast. Either do it through SoundCloud or iTunes or whatever. And just keep checking out the website because there's stuff going up on there all the time. And we are pretty much the place to be if you want Russian football news, as is shown by the website. So again, thanks again to Toko and Andrew, and we're now signing off.